Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 422 with Jenny Thompson, How to Stay Safe in Online Dating. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. And speaking of woman of value, you can now go to Amazon Kindle and paperback and pick up a copy of my book, Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and in Love. And this week's tip on becoming a woman of value is your past doesn't limit you. We often think that we are the product of our past and the victim of our past, but I can tell you that we can actually work through our past beliefs and our past upbringing, and we're all capable of growth and change. So if you find yourself saying, I'm a victim of my past and any kind of negative, I am this way because, catch yourself saying it and try to change your narrative. Before I bring Jenny on, I just want to give a shout out to my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. Uh, This is a fantastic place for women over 40 who are interested in positive growth. So join us at Your Last First Date. And now for Jenny, she is the founder and CEO of Safety Pin Technologies, which is the internet's first portable trust badge. With so many people using apps to hire babysitters, rent private homes, and of course, go on dates, Safety Pin offers a better way to develop trust online. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. It's um, really a pleasure. And I love this business because I get so many questions about how do I trust someone? And you hear these horror stories And I would love to hear what prompted you to start your business. Well, what prompted me to start my business um, was I was on vacation and I had hired a pet sitter online and she'd been working for me for over a month walking my dogs. When I got home from my vacation, I learned that she had not stayed at my home at all. And in fact, without my permission, she had taken my dog somewhere else. Their beds were missing when I got home and there were stains all over my carpet. So I have no idea to this day how much time they were alone, what happened to them. Um, But I do know she didn't follow the directions and she lied to me about it. So I confronted her about it and I asked for a partial refund. And instead of paying me back any of the money, she faked her own death. So. She made up an elaborate story about being in a very serious car accident. And then over the next four days, I would get updates about her kidneys shutting down and she's in a medically induced coma. And I knew from the very beginning that it wasn't true. From the minute I got the first text, I, um, I Googled the accident because she, was, she told me like she'd been medevaced somewhere. So obviously this is the kind of accident that shuts down the Washington Beltway. I was living outside of DC at the time. Um, and you know, so I knew immediately it wasn't true. I don't want to sound disrespectful that somebody could have been hurt and what she was not hurt. And then um, I kept texting the family in air quotes to see if she was okay and what was going on. And I think they finally got sick of it, so they told me she died. <laughs> and um, I it it left me reeling. I had 
worked with other online pet sitters before and never found somebody I loved, but this was a whole new level, right? Like if it had just been that she fed my dogs at six o'clock instead of seven, those are the things that happen with hiring somebody online or even in person. This was a whole new level. And um, I wanted to solve the problem for myself. I wanted to figure out a way that I could trust people online to come to my home and be in my home and be with my dogs. And that was what started me down this path. Yes, that's quite extreme. <laughs> it was such a crazy story. I mean, faking your own death, man, there's so many other things you could have done, right? I mean, block me from your phone. It takes two seconds. I block a person <laughs> a day practically, right? But background yeah. checks are really important and so many of them are not good. Like, well, tell us like what makes your company different because you know a lot of people would just Google somebody and not find out a lot of information. So a few things make us different, and the first is that you can't go get a safety pin background check on somebody else. We're very focused on personal privacy and data protection as well. So the way that our product works is. Um, an individual applies for a safety pin and then they can share it with you when they meet our requirements. The other things that make us different, uh, the first thing is we have a proprietary behavior review that we built with criminal profilers and clinical and forensic psychologists. And the criminal profilers are retired members of the NYPD who specialized in domestic violence and sexual assault cases. And then we worked with the woman who um, runs the psychopathy lab at a, an Ivy League school. I'm not allowed to say which one, uh, <laughs> based on her contract. And then we also worked with the former lead forensic psychologist from Leavenworth Maximum Security Prison. And the reason this is so important is we use this test to screen for the margins of people that have behavior and personality characteristics on the scale of sociopathy and psychopathy. A lot of these people are extremely charming. Obviously, Ted Bundy comes to mind. Dirty John comes to mind. These very, very charming men who know how to manipulate women and who make it their full-time job often do not have criminal records. And if you think about we've all had an experience. My first experience with stalking was when I was 19 or 20 years old. I had a, a boyfriend that I broke up with who stalked me. I would come out from work at night. He'd be sitting on the hood of my car in a mall parking lot. Nobody would be around. I was petrified. It didn't occur to me to call the police. I thought of it as like a fight with my boyfriend that the police wouldn't care about. And now stalking is a crime, but actually back then it wasn't. They would just be like, oh, he just likes you so much. Maybe you should get back with him is what I expected. So, you know, a lot of these men don't have criminal records because we don't report them. And in case your listeners are not aware of this statistic, over 70% of sexual crimes are not reported to police. According to the Department of Justice, you know, this is not some statistic from a, a quote unquote women's magazine. This is the Department of Justice. For every 1,000 rapes, only 44 people are arrested and only five people go to jail. So. Think about how many people are out there without criminal records, and especially for sexual assault. That's where the behavioral profile is so important for us. And you know, obviously nothing's guaranteed, but we are working with extraordinary professionals in this space to be able to weed out people 
who we believe would put someone in danger and who meet these criteria of somebody who's on that scale of sociopathy and psychopathy. The next thing that we do is we run a broader, deeper criminal background check. So I, I don't want to bore you or your audience with too many numbers and statistics. I will just say this. There's something called the National Criminal Database. And if you use something online like Intellius or Been Verified, and you do the quick scan that says background check anywhere in the country in minutes, they're using the National Criminal Database. What's important about that is that only 14 states report all of their data there. Alaska is one of them. New York is not. New York reports zero data. So does Massachusetts. There are 17 states in all that don't send any data to that database. And there are 10 more states that only one county reports. So depending on where you live in the country, you're getting zero data or where he lives and has lived, you're getting zero data. We have a, a methodology. We look at everywhere the person has lived since they turned 18 and where they currently work or their last place of, of work. And then we scan a radius. We don't believe you should stop at the county line. Because if you stop at the county line, Brooklyn and Manhattan are two different counties. That doesn't help anybody. Brooklyn and the Bronx are two different counties. I mean, sorry, you know, Manhattan and the Bronx are two different counties. And so the, um, we do a radial screening. So we're covering much more area for each person and going much further back for each person. And then the other thing is that we rescreen people regularly. And you can check to see if the, they get an eight-digit number they can give you so you know that they're in good standing and you can check to make sure they are still in good standing. Um, so those are the things that really differentiate us in the way that we screen, the behavioral, the radial screening, and going back further. You know, If you're in your 50s like I am and you get a standard background check, it's only going back seven years. If somebody was a stalker when they were 20, don't go out with them now. Even if, even if they haven't stalked anyone in 30 years, stalking is dangerous behavior and you don't want to have a relationship with someone who's ever exhibited that behavior. So one of the challenges is that the laws are trying to protect people and give them second chances, but with my dating life, that's not okay with me. Yeah, that was a question that came up for me while you were talking is, you know, don't people deserve second chances? And so like I've, I've been approached by men who have committed white collar crimes and they say they're rehabilitating and I, it's kind of a wait and see kind of thing for me. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see what their behavior is like. I want to build trust slowly over time. Let me see how consistent you are and see if there's inconsistencies. And I find that like a lot of times when people already are going to do a background check, it's because something came up, something in their gut is saying, this person is off. And when I think about, oh my God, Dirty John was just the most harrowing oh, <laughs> podcast that it was like, oh my God. But what's, what was interesting is there were so many red flags and she chose to ignore them. Her kids saw them. She, she just yeah. didn't want to see them because he presented as somebody charming. And so, so let's go to yeah. a question about, um, in your experience, which types of people are most susceptible to these charming psychopathic men or women? Um, yeah, you know, I, I always remind people Jody Aris is also a psychopath, and, and um, that's not, that's, it's about 8 to 12% of the US population, 
and it's more evenly spread between women and men. I think t- the tendency is that men are less, men, men are more dangerous about it, right? Women are more likely to steal your money or sleep with your brother kind of thing. Men are more likely to be violent. Um, I, you know, I'm not an expert on the dating part of this. I think that women who have been hurt and want to believe that they are still incredibly valuable and lovable fall first because the first time I remember after my last breakup, the first person I was excited about spending time with, like I, I was the person that kind of spent the most attention on me. And that's something that these manipulative men do. Um, I also think that you, you mentioned when we spoke previously, the love bombs. And so I'm someone, when somebody tells me the first time they're speaking to me that I'm exactly their type and they could see themselves falling for me, my flags go up very quickly, partly because this is my business and partly because I've always been a skeptic and partly probably because I was stalked at age 19. Um, I think for a lot of women, when you have felt devalued by somebody that you trusted and you loved, feeling valued in any way makes it so hard to see those signs. And you want to believe that someone is feeling this way about you immediately. Um, and, and it feels exciting and special. I think one of the things I always excuse me, say to my friends is when they told me this, I said, if I told you this same story, what would you tell me? And they would all say, put the brakes on. So it's a very easy measure for me. If any of my friends called me and said that, you know, a guy said this, 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 and this, and they were meeting him here, what would my reaction be? Yeah, it's, it's really good to ask somebody who loves you <laughs> and to hear them. I think a lot of times, you no, that's not true. But I think a lot of what you say, it, I mean, I've seen it, it's very true that women who, who are very vulnerable um, or people, let's just use people. My experience as a dating coach for women sure, is no. I, see, I see women who have been hurt, women who are craving that kind of attention and to feel seen. And a, and a lot of sociopaths are great at mirroring. They give you back exactly what they feel you need in order to hook you. And it's, a, it's an amazing manipulation technique. And I think that people, just anybody who's listening, this is not to scare you from ever dating again. This is really to make you smarter about not opening your heart, your wallet, your mm-hmm. time to somebody who's a total stranger, especially if your gut is saying something just doesn't feel right. So, you know, Sandy, so, if, oh, sorry. No, I if I can back up for a second, because you said don't people deserve a second chance and you talked about white collar crime. I, I do want to make the important distinction some people deserve a second chance, not everybody. Um, and that's where another thing that we do that's very different is we have a free appeal process and the person can share with us any mitigating history. We also look at patterns of behavior. That's something when you're talking about, especially sociopaths and psychopaths, these are patterns of behavior that are built into them. And one of the reasons I said, if somebody hasn't stalked someone for 20 years, I still won't date them because the, the concept of stalking is a very controlling behavior that you're entitled to this person. The fact that someone hasn't done it in 30 years could be that he didn't feel that way about anybody else. But as soon as he does, 
that behavior will rear its head again. Whereas a white collar crime is like, oh, you know, office space. Let's just take all the right, all the numbers to the right of the decimals. Nobody will ever notice. It's it's more of an opportunistic crime. And I'm not excusing that behavior, but it doesn't put me in danger. I think that somebody who has a history of stalking and domestic violence, and, and as you know, I almost re- I recently almost went on a date with somebody who had this history, which is how we got connected. Um, of multiple stalking of the same victim, domestic violence, weapons charges. And even if it's been 10 years since a conviction, I do not care. There's nothing about that scenario that, that deserves a second chance. And I think it's a very important distinction. I, our company and I are very committed to focusing more. We always say we want to focus more on justice than on criminal, but your safety has to come first. And and there's a very important distinction. So it's actually one of the things somebody asked me after this experience was, do you think the dating site should do background checks? And I said, I actually don't because what if somebody stole something worth $100 seven years ago? Do they not get to go on a date? You know, who makes that decision? I think there obviously are things they could do to keep people safer and to keep stalkers and domestic violence criminals off the platforms. But, um, you know, I just wanted, I just wanted to clear that up, that it's not the, the way that our service works. Isn't like a, Nope, there's a red mark. We, we can't do anything for you. It's really very much based on the pattern of behavior and the psychology of the crime. Yeah. And that's a good distinction. Um, because not every crime is, is the same and, you know, and you really have to distinguish between, between them. Well, and you know, I'll share, I'm sure this isn't the majority of your listeners' issues or your clients, but a significant percentage, and I won't guess at a number because I I don't have the data, a significant percentage of the number of women who are in jail, it's because they were committing a, they were with a boyfriend when he was committing a crime or he put drugs on them or something and they end up getting looped in because of the relationship. It's not because they're also criminals and they end up dating. They end up dating and he loops them into his life of crime. And so this idea of women like taking the fall, that is another danger besides getting your heart broken and everything else. You're involved with a white collar criminal, you can end up in jail. And so there's that other piece of it that you really have to think, is it worth it to me? Like, Not to get ridiculous about it, but think about it like you make a decision if somebody tells you that they have a disease or they have an STD and you're like, is this worth the risk to me for this person? And, and ask yourself that even a white collar criminal, if he's doing something and you end up sharing money or living together, your assets and, and your life can be impacted. Mm, that's a good point. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of questions we get in our Facebook group are around, um, I, I think he might be married. I think he might be hiding something. And my feeling is like, if you have all this distrust already, like, you don't even need to do a background check. Just, just right. stop dating this person, right? So let's, let's talk about when people should actually go and do a background check. Um, so again, I want to be really clear. If you're doing a background check, please make sure you're including the jurisdiction where the person at least has lived now. Um, if you are doing an instant background check and you're in the New York area or Massachusetts, and you, know, you can actually do this research yourself instead of listening to me list all the states, but find out if your state is covered and if it's not, please pay the extra money or ask him to um, and get the background check. 
So one of the challenges, especially with online dating, is you often don't know the person's last name. Or if it's someone like me and my name is Jenny Thompson, there's more than one of us in the United States. Uh, so, it, so it's something you can't necessarily do without them knowing and get the results that you're really looking for. For me personally, my rule is I won't be alone with somebody, in, in my case, if they haven't applied for a safety pin because I know what that means. Um, so if I, if I weren't <laughs> involved in my company, I wouldn't be alone with somebody unless I had run a comprehensive background check on them. And in some states, it's expensive and it takes time and it's worth it to not end up the next Dirty John victim. Um, and I, I think it also depends where you are. So being in the New York area, it's very easy to meet somebody in a very public place for a drink or coffee and not feel unsafe at all. They, they couldn't even track you down to your building if they wanted to. You know, I frequently would go on a date and then take an Uber and have it drop me off two blocks from my apartment. So, so there's really no identifying information. That's easy in New York. It's very hard in the suburbs of Baltimore for somebody to not really know where you live. And so use your judgment based on where you are, how much information you're giving. And actually, this is something, let's, can I jump in and talk about this? Um, when you think you're being discreet with your information, I guarantee you're not being as discreet as you think. And again, from my own experience, so I tend to be very careful. I never share the name of my company with somebody before I meet them. I don't ever share my last name. I don't share which the name of the street I live on or any of that. Um, and I realized after I ran the, the background check on this gentleman and I I'll nicely call him a gentleman and, uh, <laughs> and I canceled the date and I started thinking, can he find me? And here, here are the things I had told him. I told him what city I lived in because Bumble has that on there, right? Then I told him something that was identifiable about my apartment building that would narrow it down to about three apartment buildings. I told him something I lived very close to. So I said, you know, oh, I live close to X. I'm not going to say it here since it's on a podcast. Um, and that would narrow it down to three buildings in my area. He saw my picture and knew my first name, obviously. And then I showed him a picture of my dog and he knew her first name. So here's somebody that if they wanted to could come within a three block radius. I'm a redhead. So I, that does tend to stand out. And I have a mini Australian shepherd whose name he knew. And so he could have come here sat outside for two hours and the chances that he either would have seen me or been able to say to someone, do you know a woman who looks like this? And, and he had a pic, you know, he could have had a picture of me. I realized I gave away way too much information. And so think about the things that you share in your online profiles and not just your dating profiles, but your Facebook, your Instagram, mm -hmm. how easy would it be for somebody to find you with that? And so saying I'm the founder of Safety Pin versus I'm the founder of a tech company and having it linked to all of our other um, social media, the companies and mine, go in and do an audit of that if you're dating online. Go in and say, could somebody find me if they, if they put enough pieces together? And remember, sociopaths and psychopaths are the smartest among us. These are not stupid people. And if they want to put this together, they will. So please do an audit of how much information you're giving out and how hard it would be for someone to find you with that information. Yeah, this is a really good point. Um, you and I talked about this also, that I yeah. have been found by just my first name, my city, and life coach, which mm -hmm. doesn't give away the kind of coaching I do. And I thought that was easy enough to not have somebody 
to find me. I did find out from one guy, this was really helpful information, that I had put something on Facebook um, in my personal, like, I think I had my phone number, not hidden, oh, wow. not private. And I didn't realize that because I thought I had everything private and shut down. And, and he, he Googled my phone number and found my Facebook profile. And he was like, oh, wow, you, you're a dating coach and you do this and that. And I was like, what? So I thanked him. I said, you know, yeah. he wasn't crazy. and I appreciated knowing how he found me and I was able to shut it down. We don't always realize what we put out there. Yeah. I have clients who who go by nicknames on online and then just yeah. reveal their name when they've connected. I'll share two other tips. First is if you don't use LifeLock, sign up for LifeLock. You can cancel as soon as you want, but they do an audit of everywhere your private information is available online. And then they send, if you just click that you want it removed, they send all the removal. So everywhere that has your phone number, your private address, they'll take care of that for you. It's absolutely worth doing it for a month or two. Mm -hmm. um, because the, these websites make it very, very hard to get your information off, but LifeLock has it all plugged in. The second thing is, and I'm doing this for obvious reasons, but I invite all of the women listening to do it, on your dating profile, instead of putting what you actually do for a living, if it's at all identifiable, put that you work at a background check company. That will quickly get anybody that you don't want to meet out of your profile. Just like all the men say they're oil rig captains, we can all say we work at background check companies. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> or that you're a police officer. Like, you know, something that would clearly have them say, this person's going to be able to figure out what I don't want them to figure out. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, and I was curious, like you have men have to go through this test. Yes. Um, so how do they respond to that? Um, again, my rule is, for myself, my boundary is I won't be alone with somebody. So I won't um, go to their place. I won't let them come to my place if they haven't gone through the safety pin check. And I tell them that on the second date, um, I say, this is just a boundary I have for myself. And then I make a joke that um, I'm not going to be like the owner of Segway and die because I didn't use my own product correctly. Um, and it, you know, like it wouldn't be fair to my investors if I got killed on an online date. <laughs> so um, nobody has declined yet. One person made a joke that I probably won't scale the business as quickly as I'd like to with that strategy. Um, <laughs> but no, anybody that I've asked to do it has done it. I, I will share that when I've stopped dating them, they've canceled their memberships, but, uh, okay. you know, that's, that's okay. So they, yeah, did I've asked them, they did it. Um, and I, you know, not, not as a pitch for the company, but if somebody's not willing to spend $5 a month or $50 a year to be alone with me, that's less than the cost of a dinner in New York. I'm like, then, then I already know the answer, right? Then I'm definitely not right for you and you're not right for me. How would somebody go ahead and do a background check on somebody? Well, again, you, you want to tell the person that you're doing it so that you get the right information. And I'm fortunate that I had access to a database that, that technically anybody would have access to, but I knew what to look for. I'll, I don't, again, like don't want to go too deep into the details, but I'll share the story that I asked this person for his last name. He gave it to me. When I looked him up, the database that we use initially, it uses um, public records to assess your identity. So it uses things like electric bills and phone bills. And, and this was a man in his 50s who did not show up which is a huge red flag for me. I'm like, 
how can you be in your 50s and not have any of these things in your history? And it turned out he wasn't using his real first name. So he used his middle name. I, you know, I don't think that was nefarious. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given me his real last name. So I did the reverse phone number lookup and I was able to find it. I, I cannot stress enough that if he had committed his crimes in New York instead of New Jersey, I would not have been aware of them because New York charges $95 for a background check and it takes three days to come back. So I, I would implore anybody, please make sure you get the person's information, ask them where they've lived and tell them what you're doing. And if they won't give you the information, that should be telling. Um, my concern with you running it, just saying like, oh, what's, you know, having a casual conversation, getting his last name and running the background check without his knowledge is that it could come back clean when it shouldn't. That you, you know, again, my name's Jenny Thompson. If all you know about me is I'm Jenny Thompson from New Jersey, you're, you're not going to get a full picture of where I've lived and what I've done and, and how many people I've stalked. So I, I think it's so important. Um, and, and on the flip side of it, again, I'm not trying to do this as a commercial net, but it's one of the reasons like for my product, I can say to somebody, Hey, I want you to go apply for this. And if they won't, that's my answer. I haven't spent any money. I haven't wasted any time. Um, but you know, whether you choose whatever service you choose, please, please, please make sure you're covering the jurisdictions that he's lived in, at least for the last seven years. We have had, we've just, we've seen shocking things. One of the challenges, people who have criminal records check their own criminal records. They check to see what will come up. So they know that something won't come up in the National Criminal Database if they committed a crime in New York. They're fully aware of that. They check themselves. Um, so please just make sure you're doing something thorough. You can, you can go to something like binverified.com. Um, instantcheckmate.com. If you date a lot, some of them have like monthly services. If you, if you're doing one at a time, you can use those. Um, and just make sure that you're running it to the county level. Don't just do the national criminal database. And, um, and again, I, I would say, suggest you ask him for the information so you know you're getting good data. It's so hard. Well, but boundaries, and this is a boundary, yeah. you know, when you say, I don't, I don't allow a man to come into my home without a background check. Yeah. If he's on board, he's going to be on board. I mean, you know, with COVID happening right now, there are so many people who don't even know what their standards are. Like they'll go on a date yeah. and what if you wear a mask and they don't, you need to find this stuff out beforehand. And, and people are so afraid to ask for what they want. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that it's super important to know before you go, know what you need so that if they're not complying with what you need, mm -hmm. then they're not the right fit. And that's fine. There's lots of other people out there who are willing to say, I, I have nothing to hide. I, I don't care if yeah. you do this, right? Well, and I think, you know, just like on, on the dating sites, they, if somebody's sober, they'll put that they never drink. And a lot of people put in their description that they're sober because they know that somebody who's not sober may not want to date them, or they may not want to date somebody who's not sober. Like this is information that has to do with compatibility. Are you, I am concerned about my safety. If you don't respect that, it, this isn't a question of not trusting you. This is a boundary for me. I take my mm -hmm. personal safety very seriously. 
And if you don't respect that, then I know that you're not the right person for me. And it has exactly. nothing to do with whether you have a criminal background. It has to do with, this is my boundary. Would you want your mom, your sister, your daughter going on a date and being alone with somebody if they didn't know that that person didn't have a dangerous criminal record? Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because people often feel safe when they're set up with somebody and they, they immediately take that as instant trust, right? And so I have seen so many horrible relationships stem from just trusting implicitly you know, whatever it is, whether it's a fix up or something else and you're shaking yeah. your head. So some, you have a story for that too. Well, no, I, I have an analogy for this, which is um, we've all seen the video of Mentos and Diet Coke exploding on YouTube, right? Mentos doesn't blow up with 7-Up, doesn't blow up with flavored seltzer. It blows up with Diet Coke. So you can have a guy who gets along great with six of your friends and the two of you together you're just Mentos and Diet Coke for some reason. It's all you know, chemistry and reaction. And so there's a reason that, that something clicks differently. And you know, we, we also have all seen the stories with all the Me Too stuff going on, people coming out, women saying, Matt Lauer never hit on me. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that he didn't sexually assault some other woman, allegedly. Um, but just, you know, we, we can't default to because it didn't happen to me or didn't happen to this person, it has never happened or it never will happen. And so mm -hmm. your, your instinct is your number one. Um, background checks are very important foundation, but they are not the end all be all. And actually our forensic psychologist advisor um, has told me that there's a, a data point and she couldn't recall it, so I will tell you, take this as, as anecdote, not science, but from a forensic psychologist. When, you're, when you trust your gut and it tells you not to do something, it's right like 97% of the time. When you trust your gut and it tells you something's okay, it's only right like 48% of the time. And it's because we actually don't trust it, we qualify it. Like, oh, well, my friend went out with him, he must be nicer. He looks, he looks you know, Ted Bundy, looks so charming and handsome, or he looks like my dad, my brother, my friend. So we try to, we, we try to quash that negative instinct because it, it doesn't make sense to us or because there's so much positive we want to ignore what we think is negative. If your gut's telling you no, it's like, it's like smelling bad milk. You know, you're not, it's, you're not going to drink the milk because your body is programmed to know not to but we keep drinking the milk when the guy's cute. Stop doing that. <laughs> right. He's spoiled milk. <laughs> if you can smell it, he is spoiled milk. <laughs> That's a good analogy too. I, I think that what happens is, you know, we, so I would say, yes, our, our gut is almost always right when it's a no. When it's a yes, it's not really our gut when we're qualifying. That's our brain overriding our gut. And I think we are so conditioned to push the gut down and say, well, I don't know, don't really trust that. And what's the I think worst that could is, happen? Yeah, what, right. death, <laughs> yeah, murder. But we, we were like, well, what's the worst that could happen? It's one cup of coffee. What's the worst mm -hmm. that could happen? Yeah, and, and I'm shocked at how many people are not doing things that are safe when they're on dates, you know? Yeah. Having somebody meet you at your house for the first date. I, I've, I had a client do that recently and I was like, what? 
don't ever do that again. Don't, and don't go on hikes where you're going to be in private with somebody you don't know. So we all have to really, you know, be cautious, but also be optimistic. I mean, it sounds like dating is horrible. So it's not. I mean, most people out there are not stalkers and they're not criminals, you know, but there are people who are, and we have to be careful. You know, I, as you can already tell from our short conversations, I love analogies. These are seatbelts, <laughs> right? 99% of the time you get in a car, you don't need your seatbelt. Nothing happens. It's just there. These are seatbelts, but you're still not driving around without your seatbelt. So it's not that dating is horrible or scary 99% of the time. Well, it's horrible sometimes that, and not scary, right? Like it can be, <laughs> but these are seatbelts and make sure that you are buckling up. And even if it's just a nice cruise ride in the country, you're still going to wear your seatbelt. There's just so much common sense in all of this. And one of the things I like to remind myself is if this is right, then nothing I can ask him to do should matter. And it doesn't matter if we go slowly. And if it's wrong, oh my God, it definitely matters if we go too fast. Yes. And I have used this rule in, in all of my relationships that like I'm someone, I have very strong boundaries. I'm someone with very strong boundaries and I do not compromise them for anyone. Like they are the, they are the guardrails that I know keep me safe and keep me sane. And it's easy to think, but this guy's really cute or, oh, this one has a boat or a convertible and I really want to go for a ride in his car on the first date or a boat. I have a friend who went on a boat on a first date and I was like, do you not watch Dateline at all? <laughs> Don't ever do that. <laughs> so, you know, like having that, that list of your boundaries and respecting and loving yourself enough to respect them and to know that if someone else doesn't, they are not the right person for you. Yeah, that's, 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 that's this is actually a great place to end. I, I love, yeah. I love the, you know, with the right person, you really can't get it wrong. And I think people forget that. A lot of people come to me and they're afraid to speak up about things that are important to them and they're afraid of offending. And the last time they spoke up about something, the person got super defensive. That person getting defensive is a big red flag. And mm -hmm. so, so pay attention to that and know that in the right relationship, you're going to feel safe. You're going to be respected. Your needs will be met and respected. And so, and, and it's mutual. You know, so you would do things to make him feel safe as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is it's a really important conversation. And I, I really hope that our listeners will take this to heart and, you know, do background checks when it feels safe for you to do, when you feel unsafe or when you need mm -hmm. that to feel that you can be alone with somebody, you know, whatever your boundaries are. And um, so, Jenny, tell us, tell us where people can find you. So first, do background checks, even if you don't feel unsafe. I don't care if you safety pin or not, but do background checks. Because again, sociopaths and psychopaths are very good at charm and pulling the wool over your eyes. Um, people can find the company at getasafetypin.com. You can learn more about what we do. If you want to reach me personally, the best place is LinkedIn. And you can just search me there, Jenny Thompson Safety Pin. Um, and my LinkedIn is actually Jenny Thompson dash safety pin. So you can find me there and, um, I'm happy to answer any questions about any of it. Um, but 
the number one thing, please, please, please stay safe and don't compromise your boundaries or your values for anybody. Because at the end of the day, you're the only person you can trust 100%. Such an important message. Um, thank you so much, Jenny. This has really been oh, a very you. enlightening conversation. I know our listeners are going to benefit greatly. And um, if you love our show, please rate and review us. We uh, really benefit from your ratings and your reviews. This helps people find us. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon. Bye.